This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist. I've lived and worked in Fayetteville, Arkansas for almost 30 years and began Self Work five and a half years ago to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be very interested in psychological or emotional issues, to those of you who might have just been diagnosed or you're having a loved one who struggles and you need and want to know more information but also to a third group of you, those of you who might mutter under your breath that this therapy stuff is really for the birds and all therapists are kind of weird, mushy, everything they want to talk about is about their feelings kind of people. Well, maybe you can listen to self-work to get a little more of an accurate assessment of what therapy is about, what it can be, what it can mean, and the difference it can make. Self-work isn't therapy, but I often say that I became a therapist because I got really helpful therapy. So welcome to Self-Work. With so many hearts and minds still reeling from the mass shootings in California, New York, and Texas here in the U.S., I'm far from the only one who's been dealing with the impact of those events, trying to think if I could do something to be part of a positive change. One thing I must say today, however, is that hatred isn't a mental illness. I'm going to be doing an episode on sociopathy and psychopathic behavior, and I'll try to distinguish those things for you, but I need more time than I have this week to study and research this topic. So that episode will be coming up in the next few weeks. Yet I want listeners of self-work to know that I don't agree with statements that are being made about having to be mentally ill to be a mass shooter. That's a cop-out to me, and discounts the role of teaching hatred and the entitlement to do violence and to kill that I believe happens in our world. I know it happens in our world, all over our world. So that's to come. I realize I may lose some of you as listeners as I say that, but I hope not. This isn't political for me, but I've been a psychologist for a long time, and mental health and mental wellness deserve more understanding than to simply be equated with violence. So, what I've done again for this episode is to bring more of your email questions that you sent to me to your attention and talk about my answers. We'll be mentioning suicide and its impact, so if that's a trigger for you, please use caution before listening, and I have the international numbers for help with suicidal ideation available. The questions that I chose for today are diverse as well as very challenging. A couple of them are a little longer, so I'm featuring only three. The first from a man who identifies with perfectly hidden depression but cannot see a way to not fear that others will see his vulnerability. The second from a mother of three who suffered with postpartum depression. At the same time, her own mom has abandoned her once again. She says quite poignantly, I see articles written on adult children abandoning their parents, but not adult parents abandoning their adult children. Last, we'll hear from a widow who found an article of mine on her deceased spouse's iPad. He killed himself before he even made it to a second therapy session with her after she learned of an affair. And she has deep, troubled feelings and wants my help. BetterHelp is sponsoring this episode. I'm always honored to answer your questions, or at least try, and today is no exception. 
Thank you for being here. Let's settle in and learn more about these issues. Here's our first email. Dear Dr. Margaret, if your biggest fear is people finding out you're depressed, how does this ever end other than death? I have hidden depression for over 30 years now. I can't kill myself because I have two beautiful kids. Wanting to, but unable to. So lost. Thanks for your work on this subject. Let's call this emailer James. He actually, this was a response to my weekly newsletter. So he must get it and at least read things or listen to things from time to time. James, I can certainly hear that you're in a space or you feel trapped or you can't imagine ever allowing someone or anyone to see or even catch a glimpse of your sadness or your fear or vulnerability. Of course, you're welcome for my work on PhD. But I also quickly want to second that with, what cost has there been for you to spend 30 years of your life or over 30 years trying to look completely in control? I'm so glad you feel you can't kill yourself because of its impact on your children, and I hope those feelings stay that way. But that feeling doesn't do anything for the reason you feel the way you do. Somewhere long ago, something happened to you, something that was really hard, and you handled it the best way you knew how, by bottling your pain up, shoving it away as hard as you could, and tightening the reins so that those emotions might never seep out of the dungeon you initially very consciously locked them in. Then that probably morphed into a process that you actually have done automatically for the rest of your life. I want to ask you another question. If one of your own children had something traumatic happen to them in their life, would you advise them to do the same thing you did? To blame themselves or allow whatever happened to them to rob them of enjoyment of life? I doubt it. You'd want them to find fulfilling reasons, joyful reasons, to want to stay alive. You'd want them to freely breathe in and out, free from whatever shame or self-loathing that still seems to be eating you up, that you can't let anyone see, that's robbing you of believing in your own goodness. Several stories come to mind. This is one about a man who didn't necessarily identify with perfectly hidden depression, but it was way before I'd written the book, and I think he would have. He was an older gentleman. It turns out he'd been sexually abused by a grandfather who he dearly loved, so had very, very confusing feelings about that. As a child, he was supposedly supposed to be taking care of the children while his two alcoholic parents were drunk inside, and one of those five children ran into the street and was killed in an accident. His parents blamed him, and he carried around that sense of shame and guilt until I saw him. He also was a teacher, and he'd had a student kill themselves in his classroom. Here were three reasons, three horrible traumas, that he somehow managed to blame on himself, and yet he'd done everything he could. He was a child when his grandfather abused him. He was a child when he was supposed to take care of four other children, a task that should not be given to a child. And of course, the student acted quickly and didn't give him a chance to do anything about it. He came in with his wife to therapy. And then after that, he came by himself, admitting to me, I have never felt like I deserved to be happy. And I have carried around these secrets all my life. 
He worked very, very hard. He'd been giving to the community. He was a well-loved person in the community where he lived. And he had retired here in northwest Arkansas. I saw gradually, very gradually, the shame lift from his shoulders. And I'll never forget the day he told me that he'd gone on a date with his wife. And he looked at me and said, For the first time I can remember, I allowed myself to enjoy such a simple thing as being on a date with my wife. He let go of the shame and the self-loathing. He let go of his need to hide what had been wrong, what had happened to him. So James, what would have to happen for you to treat yourself like you'd want your children to treat themselves? You reached out to me. Maybe that could be a first step. I don't know if you've read my book or anyone else's work on realizing that there is strength and vulnerability. I'd like to suggest Terrence Reel's book, I Don't Want to Talk About It. You can even get the audiobook or my audiobook so no one sees you reading it. But please, take a second step. We'll take a short break now to hear a new message from BetterHelp. And it has an offer for self-work listeners only. I'm proud to say that BetterHelp has been a sponsor of SelfWork for more than two years now. They're ranked often as number one when compared with other professional therapeutic online services and do their best to match you with a therapist that you'll feel gets you, is attuned to you, and with whom you can find the kind of help and healing you need. You can do video sessions, you can text, because BetterHelp wants to offer you the most accessible and private therapy they can. Their therapists are licensed professionals. In fact, I've received offers from BetterHelp to become one of their therapists, but self-work keeps me busy. So if you need services that are financially affordable and convenient, then trying BetterHelp may be the best choice you've ever made for yourself. And you get 10% off your first month of services if you use this link, betterhelp.com slash self-work. You know, I'm a therapist because I got good therapy, because I learned the immense value of hearing another experienced and knowledgeable perspective on my own life from someone that cared and was invested in my getting better. So try BetterHelp and get one month at a 10% discount. BetterHelp.com slash self-work. Okay, we're back. And here's an email from a woman who's struggling with both postpartum depression and the abandonment of her mother. She states, Here's a little background. I'm a mom of three beautiful babies aged two through eight. I have a wonderful and supportive husband and am actively involved in a church community that I love. But I've been suffering from depression and postpartum depression after the birth of my firstborn and lastborn. I was working with a therapist this past fall who specialized in trauma. She believed that I have CPTSD, which is complex PTSD or chronic PTSD, from sexual and possible emotional abuse in childhood. Unfortunately, this therapist left the practice, which has happened to her several times, by the way. The new therapist they match me with is my own age. I recognize her from having mutual acquaintances, and she often gives very surfacey advice. I've been pushing through, hoping that I could overcome any initial biases I had, but I'm leaving each session feeling further from where I want to be. I found your podcast on finding a therapist helpful, and I've reached out to a new practice that I was with in the past. And she says, if you've read this far, thank you. I promise I'm getting to my actual point. <laughs> I'm worried that I'm unable to be the mother that my kids need while I'm battling this. 
I don't have a relationship with my own mother, and from my viewpoint, I feel as though she has chosen her boyfriends over me. When her husband, not my father, was finally sentenced for sexually abusing me, she continued to visit him in prison, despite hearing my testimony, which resulted in the guilty verdict. After going through my first pregnancy and also two miscarriages without my mom, I decided that I wanted to slowly let her back in with boundaries when I had another child. Things were going well, or so I thought. Then we had a birthday party. She asked if she could bring her new boyfriend. Not knowing this person and knowing her history with men, I asked her not to bring him to my home, but said I would be happy to meet him on neutral ground. That was the last time I spoke to her. She was presumably upset. I reached out to her. After a year with no reciprocation, I let it go. Mentally and emotionally, I was doing great until I unexpectedly got pregnant during the summer of 2019. It was a difficult pregnancy that resulted in me going back on medication and seeking counseling. My child was born in 2020, so you can imagine his first year was difficult with limited support due to the pandemic. I often see articles posted on social media about adult children abandoning their parents. Rarely do I see articles about parents who have abandoned their adult children. How can I tell what is causing this depression? Why can't I get better even though I have support, medication, and counseling? I'm so tired of feeling this way. Whew, that's a lot. Here's the best answer that I could come up with. First, please realize that your body has been going through a lot. About every two years or less, you've been pregnant and either nursing or losing sleep with a new baby or getting pregnant again. This isn't a comment on that at all, about the fact you choose to have children. It's simply an acknowledgement that your hormones may be playing a role in this. And let's not forget, you've had two episodes of postpartum. This has had you on a mental and emotional roller coaster. Postpartum is so hard because you can also feel such shame for experiencing it. And you may feel either more detached from the baby and have to work to feel what you want to feel. It's very complex. I'd make sure to get blood work done from your primary care physician to make sure your physical functioning is normal. You're already troubled that you're not the mother I should be. So I hear shame talking, which again is often a part of postpartum. It's a part of some regular depression as well, but especially at a time when our culture says, oh, you should be over the moon for having a child and you're not, or you're struggling to find a connection with that child or drag yourself to take care of the other children. It can be really tough. Add on to all of that, that you've been through several therapists. This last one isn't obviously a good fit, and I'm glad you're looking elsewhere. So very little in your life has stayed constant. By the way, I'd certainly let a new therapist know that you need some reassurance from her that she's not going anywhere for a while. That's not a demand. You simply don't want to go through the loss of a therapist, again, especially one that you're enjoying working with. Now, let's talk about your mom. Her current abandonment is likely acting as a re-traumatizing factor. She's giving you, again, the message loud and clear that her expectations of you need to govern your relationship with her. She's going to do what she wants to do, no matter how it impacts you, which likely has been her message to you all along. So some of your not getting better likely stems from the fact that this hurt is very fresh and it's triggering old hurt. It's like a scab that's been ripped off an old wound. 
the blood is both fresh but comes from deeper within. I'm wondering if the therapist that you've been to has ever mentioned a personality disorder issue for your mom. You might want to listen to some of my podcasts on borderline personality disorder. All you have to do there is go to my website at drmargaretrutherford.com and put in borderline personality disorder. All of that said, there are newer treatments for depression, the kind that seems not to be responding to treatment. There's EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy, which is a trauma-based treatment and involves a therapist having special training and certification. There's TMS, or transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is covered by most insurance. TMS providers use magnetic energy to help alter brain patterns. It can be highly effective. I've had several patients do it, and they have found some hope that they've not been able to feel for quite a long time. Again, that's a little more involved process, but all in all, I want you to hear me that there's really not an area of your life that has been stable. So please, Give yourself a break. Look for some information on postpartum and get some help with that. And try not to shame yourself for what has been a rocky beginning to becoming a mom through no fault of your own and certainly has not been helped by your own biological mother. I hope you have other women in your life that can act as a mentor and provide you with that kind of maternal energy. Your mother seems unlikely to be able to to offer you. That involves grieving, but it also sounds like you're more than beginning to see the pattern. So good luck to you. Here's the third and last email. Hi, Dr. Margaret. I just found on my dear husband Michael's iPad, Past History, your article on the Gottman Institute posted in 2017. He had been reading your practical science-based steps to heal from an affair. I do wish the part I just read about how starting out with telling lies can be part of the process. I wish that had been in our therapist's skill set. This first therapy appointment wasn't handled skillfully. Is that why my husband died by suicide in October of 2021, never making it to the second therapy appointment? No, but that can have a part that factors in. Michael and I shared 27 happy years together. Just hours before I learned of his suicide, I received a love letter stating his indiscretion had nothing to do with me, but a second email called Loose Ends with all our updated passcodes and suggestions of what to do with his stuff. The pain I feel as a loving wife is enormous and all around him taking his own life. Any indiscretions were hurtful, yes, and as this was discovered through a pap smear showing I had contracted a sexually transmitted disease just added to my husband's shame. We could have worked through this. Couples do. We were good. I now talk to him alone in the house. We worked so hard to pay off. And how suicide didn't have to be his choice to rectify. This choice made this way way worse. Do you have resources for my grieving process? The pandemic has therapists booked and not taking on any new clients. So I looked into online resources I joined several different grief groups only to discover I'm processing my grief differently. I don't want to be 10 years into surviving the suicidal loss of my mate and still in a grief group crying. That's good. I do believe in feeling it to heal it, but I don't want to identify as a forever grieving widow as some folks in those groups appear to be doing. Michael wouldn't want that for me. 
I've looked over David Kessler's online grief offerings and tried on working with a graduate of his, which after five sessions I just let go of. She sent me an apology email stating she was identifying with my grief and not holding a strong container for what should have been my grief work. Thank you for your good work in helping couples navigate the challenge of having an affair and rebuilding the relationship. I so wish we had found you sooner. Michael was a sweet, dear man, and I still love him. He was my mate in this lifetime, and my work now is to see what life has in store for me. Well, once again, we have some disappointments from therapists, and I'm glad at least this therapist owned her own mistakes. At least she didn't leave this woman wondering, was it something about me? You can certainly hear this widow's quandary about where she can go to get help in working through her husband's suicide. And knowing that he was reading something I wrote, and I'll include that post in the show notes, it gives me such sadness. For if anything, I've watched many couples work through affairs and secrets and lies. Not all do, but it's not impossible. I do need to address something she said. She quoted my article as saying that the process starts off with lying. That, in my memory, isn't what I meant, certainly. Often, the entire truth doesn't come out at once, due to both protectiveness of the partner, but also the person sometimes also engaged in the affair. And, of course, due to shame. Yes, lying can be manipulative, but in those cases, the affair won't necessarily be healed anyway, because overt manipulation is still going on. But back to the facts about suicide. Suicide itself is often a secret idea or plan. Some people do frequently have feelings of suicidal wishes and talk about them openly. That is one kind of ideation altogether. When unwanted feelings or thoughts about dying seep into your mind and you struggle to get them out. But often, as those of you who are familiar with my work on perfectly hidden depression know, these feelings are tightly controlled and not expressed openly, so that when it happens, when the suicide actually occurs, it's a huge shock. In fact, there have been many people who've written to me to let me know that their partner or child or parent has killed themselves and their life looked great, successful, happy. I bet everyone who's listening may know someone just like that. I saw an article this week about more college athletes dying by suicide when their careers look stunning and hopeful. Such pressure and so many secrets. I did want to mention this podcast to her. It's called Terrible Thanks for Asking by Nora McInerney. And I checked it out, and sure enough, she covers suicide. And here's the link for a two-part series on a loved one dying by suicide, or that will be in your show notes. She experienced the death of her own husband, and she has this great podcast about how to handle grief. There's also a man named Dr. Alex Lickerman, who gives us reasons why people attempt suicide. And these are the six reasons he gives. Depression, psychosis, or hearing voices that tell you to kill yourself, crying for help, impulsivity, a philosophic decision to die, and making a mistake, such as not realizing what taking a bottle of Tylenol will do to your body. So the apparent reason will obviously make a difference in how you grieve. In our community, for example, I know of several deaths that would be categorized or might have been categorized as accidental overdoses with the question of suicide hanging in the air. But autopsy results showed whatever drug the person thought he was taking was actually laced with a lethal amount of fentanyl. This is becoming a huge problem. So, where do you find peace? 
How do you find compassion when your loved one's choice has changed your life unalterably? How do you tolerate the guilt that you inevitably feel? I survived or wasn't what we had enough. Why didn't he or she tell me? It takes time to grieve, to work through each and every one of these emotions, anger, sadness, disappointment, anguish, loneliness, confusion. Often you're also trying to handle your children's or your family members' feelings, and how they are getting through can be opposite of how you are. I've noticed another trend. Families seem to be moving toward revealing that their loved one's death was a suicide. I think this is good, as it reveals how this kind of thinking, this kind of detachment from the impact of death, can happen to anyone and everyone. Some may say it could increase the incidence, but... Research shows that talking about suicide does not increase its likelihood. But let's get back to talking about grief. Grief will come in waves, receding and then washing over you again, dragging you into blackness just like an ocean. Then recede once more. You'll have fear, anger, despair, bewilderment. All are normal and will likely come and go. You can get stuck in one of those emotions, however, and that's when you might need help. And in this emailer's case, my guess would be, in getting on with her own life, there will be a sensitivity to secrets. She'll need someone to understand how secrets have hurt her deeply, not only the affair, because again, from her perspective, that could have been worked out, but the fact that her husband died by suicide. Let me tell you one more story. Nan's sister killed herself. They'd grown up in an abusive and chaotic home. Nan became a rule follower. Her sister was an alcoholic and fought many addictions, and yet they'd always shared a deep bond. So when Nan came into my office, she very eloquently described her confusion. I always knew my sister was there, as if she and I were holding an invisible rope. I would tug, she would tug back. We could get through anything. Now it's like she dropped her end. I tug on it, and no one is there. No one tugs back. I don't know how to go on living. Do I keep holding my end? Do I drop it? Do I store it away, this rope? These questions are very difficult to answer, and those answers came only with time. If you have thoughts of hurting yourself or know someone who does, please don't discount those feelings. There are many people who never have those thoughts, never. Tell someone who will listen and help. There are crisis lines all over our country and in many countries, and those are listed in your show notes community mental health clinics whose job it is to respond to you, and free health clinics available for those in need. And please know, someone else's suicide is never your fault. Thank you for being here at Self Work. I'm very, very grateful that all of you are here And I can tell that you're talking about self-work with your friends, maybe your family, because our numbers keep on growing. So thank you so very much. I do want to ask you, however, especially if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please leave self-work a rating or especially a written review. Because when people look up self-work to see, okay, do I really want to listen to this? Do I want to give it my time? They're going to check and see, okay, what are her reviews like? Did they stop coming in six months ago? So maybe her podcast isn't as good as it used to be. So your continued ratings and reviews are very important. Thank you again for being here. Please take very good care of yourself 
your loved ones, and your community. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.